Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. In 1965, Time Magazine posted a cover that asked in bold white letters on a solid black background, Is God dead? Is God dead? A handful of years later, Don McLean picked up on this line of thought in his eight-and-a-half-minute epic, American Pie, a song about his sadness since the music died. It is a song with lines that don't immediately make sense when you hear them. When people ask Don McLean, what does American Pie really mean? He likes to reply, it means I never really have to work again. It also means a lot of raucous times with good old boys and girls around campfires, banging acoustic guitars and singing, drove my Chevy to the levee because the levee was dry, without having a clue what that meant. And I want you to know it is my great joy that you will have that song and that line maybe rolling around in your brains for the rest of the day. Most people believe that the song references the rock and roll giants of the day, Bob Dylan, Pete Seeger, and of course the tragic airplane crash that led to the death of Buddy Holly, the big bopper, and Richie Valens the day the music died. But it is the music that McLean refers to at the end of the song, a reference to that Time magazine cover that to me is the song's true lament. At the very end, not a word was spoken. The church bells all were broken. In his deepest place of darkness, in the country's deepest distress, the day the music died, just when he needed it the most, the church and its bell offered no sound. Does it today? In our deepest place of darkness has the music, that peeling that leads us into the halls of worship and leads us onto the stairs in service, has it died? Can it be heard through the bustling carts in grocery stores? Can it be heard through the blaring news and the screaming tweets? Can it be heard through the anxiety that seizes our chests and our throats? Can it be heard in a place of quarantine 
See, when Jesus looks down from the cross and sees his mother and his friend, he speaks into their quarantine. See, they should never have been together. And without him, they likely would never have known one another. Why would they have known one another? What would have brought them together? And now, as he speaks some of his last words, the words from the cross, they would probably have been separated from one another again. Why would they want to see one another after this event? Why would they want to be reinfected with the pain of this moment, of this loss? They would be better off quarantined. But Jesus speaks into that soon-to-be separation. And he makes sure that they know that they belong to each other, that they're family, that we belong to one another. We're family. And that sound, the same sound that breaks into their lives at the foot of the cross is the sound that breaks into the lives of our quarantine today. You belong to each other. Your family. Quarantined as we may be, no quarantine, no walls of quarantine can change that. Which is why it was so beautiful to see the cars in our lot last night honking their horns, being reminded that we belong to each other. We're family, and there's something resilient about the music. It doesn't die easily. It was alive from our tower, doing what Jesus' words do for those two at the foot of the cross. It keeps us together, even when it seems like togetherness is gone. And so with deep apologies, to that Time magazine cover in 1965, and to you, Mr. McLean, here at the Kirk and here in our country and in this world, God is not dead, and the church bells are not yet broken. Amen. Are you any good at matchmaking? Because my track record is pretty spotty. It sometimes works out, it sometimes doesn't. There are times I look at two people and I think, oh, they're perfect for each other. They should be together. And I try to get them together, only to find out that they're brother and sister. And it's really embarrassing when that happens. I don't know if that ever happened to you. And then there are times when I see two very unlikely people who have nothing in common. And I think, hmm, they're as different as they can be, but there's something about them. I think they should be together, only to find out that they're actually engaged. And I go, score, although I had nothing to do with it. I don't try to do matchmaking all too much because the risk is just too high. What if it doesn't work out? They're going to blame me for it. But sometimes I just can't help myself because it's just too tempting. You see two people who should be together and who are not, and I get all excited, and I get them together, and it works out. And I go, score, it's a match made in heaven.
When I look at this passage, Jesus does something of matchmaking on the cross. Well, what he really does is family making. By, hanging, by handing over the care of his mother to disciple whom Jesus loved, probably that's John referring to himself, and asking his mother to treat John as her son, Jesus is literally creating a new family from the cross. Instead of match made in heaven, the new family Jesus creates is a family made at the cross. What does the word family mean to you? Whose faces come to your mind when you think of the word family? Of course, for me, I think about my biological family, my parents and my four sisters and my husband and my two children and my grandma who helped to raise me. But right alongside my biological family, my youth pastor stands there, the one who never had children of his own, but who loved me into my call to ministry. My Sunday school teacher who loved me into my relationship with Christ. Even a retired pastor in his 80s at my first call, first pres of Ann Arbor, who loved me into ordination by whispering into my ear on the floor of the presbytery right after I was approved for ordination, you can be my pastor any day. In fact, last Sunday, when I was at First Press Church for someone else's ordination, the same elderly pastor, whom I haven't seen for three years, hugged me tightly. Despite the COVID-19 threat, now that's true love, and whispered into my ear, I'm so proud of you, which of course made me burst into tears. Whew, that was a moment to really remember because I felt like it was my own grandpa whispering into my ear, I'm so proud of you. I think of them and so many others when I think of my family. They belong with me, and I belong with them, no matter if they're still in my life or if I have not seen them for ages. It doesn't matter. We still belong together. And I think of you, my church family, the new family that is created at the foot of the cross. That's who we are. We're the people of the cross. We've become family because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, whether we're worshiping in one same physical space or not, we belong to each other. You know what I love the most about this passage? The very last sentence. The disciple took her into his own home. He took her home. He started living with her because now she's his mom. To be family means to bring them into your home, even if it's not clean. And if home is where your heart is, it's to invite them into the messiness of your hearts. When Pastor Nate says, welcome home every Sunday morning, it's not only inviting you to the beautiful space that is our sanctuary, especially on a day like today, but also to the messiness of being family together and doing life together. Not a perfect family, 
because there is no such a thing, but a true family made at the cross, a family made in heaven. Amen. My mom was a very busy woman. She still is. There was never a dull moment in our household. When I was in elementary school, she was working full time and working and cleaning, making sure her four children of a wide spectrum of ages had everything they needed. There was so much to do, so many things she could focus on. Yet, in the midst of all the things on her to-do list, there was always something she made specific time for. One of my friends once told me, dude, I used to love going to your house because from the moment I stepped into your house, your mom offered me something to eat. I guess I never really realized it until he pointed it out. It's like she was saying, you're welcome here. I remember times when she would get upset at me for inviting people over, not because I invited people over, but because she felt there wasn't enough or anything to give to our guests. I didn't even have time to go out to the store. In the midst of all things going on in our household, she always found a way to be intentional and to connect with our guests. She sought a way to let our guests know that they were important enough to be, in a real sense, part of the family. It's like it became her main focus. There was always a lot more going on, but for that moment, we were all reminded that our family had grown. To say that there was a lot going on when Jesus hung on the cross is at best an understatement. There were likely tons of people close by, and in fact, it was designed that way. Crucifixions were supposed to be a public spectacle. It was supposed to attract a lot of people and consequently remind them of what could happen if you went against the authorities. Not only was there a lot of people, but there was also a lot going on around. The guards were casting lots for Jesus' clothes. The spiritual authorities were gazing at the spectacle, making sure that everything happened as it was supposed to. Many crowds were screaming at Jesus and insulting him for being an outlaw. Even the two men that were crucified by Jesus were bickering back and forth and claiming for attention. There was a lot going on. Yet even in the midst of everything going on, even when there was enough to potentially pay attention to, our scripture passage says that Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved. 
There was a specific intention to acknowledge the two of them in the midst of everything else happening. As we have heard from our pastors in their reflections, Jesus' words to Mary and John created a new community, or at the very least assured for a community to continue. In the midst of all that was going on, all the other things that Jesus could have been paying attention to, he chose to focus on assuring that community would continue. This was not just any community, of course. Mary, being the mother of Jesus, can be seen as a symbol of the earthly family. John, one of the twelve apostles that is identified here as the one whom Jesus loved, can be seen as a symbol of the family or community formed through discipleship. At that moment, Jesus was assuring a way for community to come together, expand their family, if you will, and move forward. The passage reminds us, especially today, how we should move forward in community. There are a lot of things that we can definitely be focusing on today. We are glued to notices on our phones or to the news to make sure what the latest guidelines and ordinances are. Many of the recommendations for containing the virus call for staying home, practicing self-isolation or being quarantined, and rightfully so. All of these solutions require separating ourselves from one another. So our attention is pulled from connection to how we can best isolate ourselves in order to avoid getting sick. And again, rightfully so. These are very reasonable and important considerations to have. Yet that said, in the midst of all of these things that we can focus on, and all the things that may want our attention, let us not lose track of Jesus' words to Mary and John. Let's not forget about community and on continuing to be community. In the midst of all the things we have to do, let us seek creative ways to connect with and remind each other that through Jesus Christ, we are all part of this community, His community. We are all part of his family. Amen.